0: morning church. Today's reading is from Proverbs chapter 1 verses 20 through 23 and chapter 11 verses 6 through 11. Out in the open wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall she cries out. At the city gate she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. From chapter 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come to you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God, let's pray. Father, right now we come under your word. We say that uh, we're, at, we're in a position of need, we need to hear from you, and we need to hear the tone of your voice. Uh, we need to hear the words that you have to speak to us. Lord, we do that by opening up your word, and so I ask that your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts, Lord, would you convict where you want to convict us? Would you encourage where you want to encourage? Would you speak a kind word to sustain us where we need that? Thank you that we can trust totally in your word. All of our hope is in you. Would you speak to us now? In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as I was talking about a difficult topic, uh, let's invite out a Californian from Carpinteria to teach a bunch of Bostonians about work. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, the text we just heard in the reading of God's word said that wisdom calls aloud, that she raises her voice in the public square. In the public square, it's the meeting place of a city. As Ray Ortland says, uh, Lady Wisdom is standing here at the crossroads of culture. Where business, government, education, the arts, athletics, all intersect, she's shouting out in the public square, because that's where the people are, and wisdom wants to reach us where we are. Uh, I was in a public square not too long ago at LAX, just flying out here, and uh, it's early in the morning, and I'm hungry. Uh, I get in line to get a bagel at whatever closest little bagel store there is and I have a couple people in front of me, uh, one well-to-do businessman and then I have uh, the woman working at the bagel shop and as we're going through the line, it's getting backed up, it's crowded and the guy, two people in front of me says, hey, make sure you cut my bagel. Make sure you cut my bagel sandwich in half. And at first the woman says... Uh, uh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And she's just kind of flustered, caught up in the moment. And she's, he says, hey, are you going to cut my bagel? She hasn't cut it yet. Uh, and she says, we don't, we don't have a knife. I'll give you a plastic knife and you can cut it. Uh, so we keep going down the line and the guy keeps making references. Thank you. You're such a good hard worker. Are you going to cut my bagel? Uh, keeps going, keeps going to the point where he finally pays. They hand him a plastic knife and he's over on the side. And then the guy just blows up. Um, it, was, it was like I was, it was first person TMZ from me and myself. I'm standing there and the guy's trying to cut his bagel and he walks over and cuts somebody else in line trying to hand back his bagel sandwich and says, cut this bagel for me. And the woman says, we don't have knives, sir. You need to go cut it yourself. At which point some other uh, frustrated guy in the airport walks over and starts uh, speaking some words that I can't repeat here. And says, hey man, be a big boy, just cut your bagel. And the guy just literally starts screaming, she won't cut my bagel. She wouldn't cut my, she said she would cut my bagel. And I'm just sitting there. um, It's doing a little something for me waking up. And I'm (laughs) in this public square and I said, I said to myself, I don't know all the implications of this, but I know wisdom needs to scream out right here. I know we have a worker who's just doing her best to try to get people through the line. And I know we have a well-to-do businessman who uh, his entire life is being ruined because his bagel sandwich wasn't cut in half. And I'm like, man, is there any wisdom we might be able to gain in the public square? Well, I don't know that I can give all the solutions. It might take years of therapy for the situations and complexity going into that situation. But what I want to tell you today is that God's word has wisdom for us about work. He really does. Now you walk in here thinking maybe some of the following thoughts. You, you come in here, hearing we're talking about work and you think, I love my job because I get to daily do what I'm passionate about. Like, I find my meaning in my job and I love it. Or you hate your job. You hate your job and you can't wait for the day you get that other thing, uh, the other place to work. Uh, Maybe you think coming in here, you know, I work so I don't have to work. That's that's my deal. I'm working hard, I'm putting in my time right now so one day I won't have to do it. Or you're anxious. You're anxious to get out of this gathering. You're like, wrap it up, man, I got some work to do. You wanna get out of this place or you feel alive and you feel validated when you're at work. We all come in here with a multitude of feelings and attitudes towards work, but what I wanna tell you today is that God longs to give you wisdom wherever you find yourself in relation to work. God's word actually gives us a glorious vision of work. But in order to hear the wisdom Proverbs has for us, we need to hear how work began. So we need to start right at the very beginning. Today we're going to be looking at work and wisdom under three headings. The first is entrusted with work. The second is becoming trustworthy workers. And we'll finish by looking at how to trust God with our work. So entrusted with work. Uh, contrary to what thorns and gardens, what crash laptops with lost info, uh, and if perhaps if you 're a teacher or work with students, what rebellious students would seemingly tell us, all work, all work began as a blessing. In the beginning, God entrusted us with work. Genesis 1 verse 28 says, "God blessed them. He blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The first thing God spoke was a blessing. And in that blessing, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, this has been called the cultural mandate. And we can kind of extrapolate from it uh, that this isn't a call to just have a lot of kids. If this was just a call to have a lot of kids, can you imagine just a lot of kids with no shelter? If that's simply what it's telling us to do, hey, lots of kids, no education system. Lots of kids, no form of health care. Lots of kids, but no place to live. It's something more than that. It's the cultural mandate. And the cultural mandate has to do with cultivating. You see that relation between the two words, culture and cultivate. Uh, a few years ago, I, was, uh, I attended a talk. Uh, given by Tim Keller. I, I gotta be honest, I just feel convicted. It was like he was piped in by satellite, right? So I'm like in a smaller venue and he's piped in by satellite, so just in full honesty. Uh, but he explains, he explains, uh, my friend Tim Keller explains uh, culture <laughs> this way. Uh, for the longest time, culture had to do with agriculture. And it had to do with horticulture. It took, it's tilling the raw stuff of the earth in order to to cultivate that so we can eat better. So we can eat better. It's kind of interesting. We're returning to a lot of this original cultivation and culture, but for the longest time, culture had to do with agriculture and horticulture. Then somewhere around the 16th, 17th century, we started to use the word to describe people, describe a certain kind of person, to have a cultured mind, to have uh, an education, to cultivate the person, the raw stuff of a person, of a mind. Uh, had to do with uh, education and the arts, music, storytelling, and the like. Now we use the word culture to apply to all of life. Uh, Keller defines culture as this. He says, now culture is taking all the raw material, everything in life, and rearranging it in order to express meaning, in order to express the good, the real, the true, and the important. So we have been called we were originally called to cultivate the world this means music taking the raw stuff of sound and notes and arranging it in such a way that you hear a beautiful symphony in art taking colors and composition putting it together in such a way that gives it uh, meaning and beauty the same with story and law and we need to realize because we have to constantly hear god gave work before the fall before sin had entered the world, God said, "It's good for you to take the raw stuff and make something beautiful out of it. Make something orderly out of it." This means that all work, all work, can be holy in service unto God. I hope you know this, but you do not have to be a pastor or a minister to glorify God. The Bible's story of work it challenges common conceptions that we have. We think something like work, so you don't have to work. But the Bible says, but you were made to work. You were made to. We think work is evil. Bible says, no, when the Bible talked about work, it ended the day by saying, and it was very good. Scripture also speaks to us about making too much of work, where we think work is all I was created for. And so we put in 80, 100, 120 hours a week. The Bible says you were created to work, yes, but you were also created to rest. And we rest because God himself rested. Now, what's fascinating to me is the the setup for work and rest that's in the Bible. Uh, Because if I hear that I'm not created to only work, but I'm created to also rest, what is my thought? I think, okay, 50-50, I take three and a half days of work, three and a half days of rest. That sounds like a good setup to me. Uh, but God actually says, "No, you work seven, uh, you work six days, and you rest one day," which is significant. We we were made to work, and we find meaning in work, and we actually need to work more than we need to have sustained, set apart rest. But we still have to rest. There's an there's an imbalance. There's an imbalance in terms of. Six days you spend working, but on the seventh day you should rest. So, do you see this glorious vision? All areas of life. We take raw things and we cultivate them for the flourishing of society. And so, cooking is blessed and it's service to our neighbor. Oh, my wife and I went to, as a fat baby, sushi. It, it, I don't know if it's even the best sushi. you got to tell me after. But, oh, it was so good. I was like, how did you take raw fish and make it taste like this? It was amazing. Uh, taking raw data and giving people investment portfolios, that's love. Serving in the civic arena to create places of flourishing for all people, it's blessed. So we can stop here. Uh, let's go ahead and invite up the Worship team and do an extended time of worship, praising God for every aspects of our job. Let's just, let's just pour forth in praise of how utterly encouraged all of us are in our work. Of just, of how, oh, Lord, thank you how I got to see the fruit of every single one of my labors this last week. Let's rejoice in how we don't have one regret about how hard or wise we worked this last week. Okay. So if you, and I, if you and I have one thing in common, and let's put aside some of our sporting differences of the love I have for the Los Angeles Lakers and what you have for your Boston Celtics, or what you did to my Dodgers and Rams this last year. Um, set that aside. If we have one thing in common, uh, if we have one thing in common, it's that we know the frustration that can befall us in our jobs. There are things about our jobs that cut our hands when we work with them. There are regrets we have with how wise we've been in our work ethics. There are frustrating days, weeks, even months of work where we wonder, is anything happening? Am I working towards any positive end? Has anything come from the labor I've given in my life? Or maybe some of us in this room were actually blind to how we ooze out pride because we've made something happen for ourselves. We're at a good place, and I find my work satisfying. All of these current realities of work, they actually flow from Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. The wisdom he gave them to cultivate the world to to enjoy everything, just don't eat from this one tree. The wisdom he gave them, they rejected. It wasn't enough for them. They tried to be God. And so life without God was introduced, and it fractured the cosmos. And one of the fallouts was that work itself would now be cursed. Genesis 3, the Lord speaks, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Thorns, no yield, sweat, blood, tears, pain, and being fruitful. It was effect of the fall. But it's into this reality that the Proverbs speak. Work is good, but it's cursed. We're meant to work, but we struggle with sin and sloth and pride. Yet our Father wants to give us wisdom in once again becoming trustworthy workers. The whole of the book of Proverbs is aimed at making us wise people. And you guys have been learning this and you are understanding this. It's not necessarily to copy the right answers, but to be, able to, write the, uh, to be able to ask the right questions. It's not necessarily to be able to choose the right person of the final two on the bachelor. It's to be able to see that maybe that's not the best process for picking a mate for life. <laughs> Wisdom wants to aim at making us wise people. And the Proverbs is going to seek to warn us about the foolish path of sloth. And it's going to do so in, in cutting hyperbole, okay? God's going to give it to us kind of straight and kind of uh, more than even straight. He's going to give it to us exaggerated. Proverbs 26, 14 through 16 says this. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. What's talking about here, it's talking about procrastination and zero follow-through. Procrastination and zero follow-through. The lazy person, the slugger the Bible wants to warn us about, uh, they make excuses for everything. The excuse this person makes is, you know what, I can't go to work today. I heard that. There's this rumor that there's a lion outside, a lion in the public square. You think somebody's going to deal with a lion in the public square? Somebody's going to deal with that. But the sluggard says, no, I, I can't. I don't know if I should do that. He makes excuses about it. To, to the sluggard, sleep is everything. Like a door turning on its hinge. So a sluggard turns on his back, on his bed one way, the other way. Snooze one more time. Snooze button another time. News button, oh my gosh, I got to get to work. But like a loving father, the Proverbs say this, hey, put away excuses and stop procrastinating because that's not who you were created to be. That's actually not who you were meant to be. You guys know the old saying, excuses are like armpits. Everybody's got two of them and they all stink. Um, when, I read the, when I read the Proverbs, I can't help but think of the times, the time in life I've spent working with my dad, who's blue-collar uh, general contractor, and uh, working with him one day, uh, I forget exactly what had happened, maybe I was climbing up the ladder, but I uh, stepped down the ladder, and I, and I twisted my ankle on the job site. And I'm going to be really honest, it was like, you know what it's like when you twist an ankle. It's not a spraying. It's a little sore. It's a little tender. So I got home, and yeah, it was a little tender, but I get up for work the next day, and I go over to my dad and just hobble over. say, Dad, I'm getting ready, but man, my, my ankle's pretty sore. I think I twisted yesterday. He looked at me and said, oh, okay. Do you know what, do you know what we do when we twist our ankles on the job site? I was like, no, what? He says, um, well, you, you take your boots and you tie him up real tight. Just tighten the laces real tight. No excuses. Like, get back out to the job site. You can keep working. My dad wasn't, being, some of your faces, my dad wasn't being utterly cruel. He was seen through some of my own excuses. Like a loving father, the Proverbs say, hey, let's put away the excuses. Let's put away the procrastination. Come on, you weren't made to be like that. Follow through and don't procrastinate on what you, on what you know you need to do because you were made to work. You weren't made to bury your dish, bury your hand in a dish and fall asleep because you forgot to bring the food back to your mouth. Proverbs say that's what the lazy person's like. They can't even feed themselves. You weren't made to sleep all day. Work is cursed, it's true, but it's not pointless or frivolous. God has a purpose in it. And so we can start to put away some of our procrastinations and some of our excuses. Proverbs six, some of the scripture we heard reading. The wisdom of God would say this: Go to the ant, you sluggard! Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores in its provisions in summer. Uh, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. When will you get up from your? Uh, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest. Doesn't that, that alliteration just makes me want to fall asleep right there. And poverty will come upon you like a thief and scarcely like an armed man. Guys, in all of these, I, I really struggle because, because the stuff is so straightforward, right? These don't need some profound exposition. Simply examine, examine the last week of your life. When, you're, uh, when you were at work, were you the same worker as when your boss was around and when he wasn't around? Are you, are you working hard only when somebody can see you? Or are you working wisely? Are you, are you in the times you're meant to work, working? And the times you're meant to rest, resting? If not, something's out of joint and God wants to speak wisdom into our lives. Derek Kidner comment. Commenting on the, on the wise man uh, as opposed to the sluggard says this to us. Because we hear the sluggard and, and given, the sluggard is spoken of in really hyperbolic terms. Really, really hyperbolic terms. Uh, the wi- Derek Kinder says this. The wise man will learn while there is time. He knows that the sluggard is no freak. But as often as not, an ordinary man who has made too many excuses, too many refusals, Too many postponements. It has all been as imperceptible and as pleasant as falling asleep. The Proverbs speak to us through both warning and promise. The warnings, they say, are this. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. The righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. You know the word wisdom, chukmah. Is that okay? I tried my best. Uh, chukmah uh, is, as Al defined a couple of weeks ago, a universal law woven into the fabric of the universe. Things that are true because of how God created this universe. And so the wisdom of work that God has for us is this. It's a warning that says, if you refuse to work, if you constantly put off what you need to do today until tomorrow, if you're only ever the idea guy or the idea girl, and you don't ever put things into development, it will eventually catch up to you. You He's speaking a word of warning to us. But he also speaks a word of promise. It says this. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve officials of low rank. There is, as a general principle, truth that if you're faithful in what you've been given, in the little, God will be faithful to you. That our work today, no matter where we find ourselves, is not pointless. No matter, what, no matter what the effects of the fall seem to tell us of how our hands get cut and how things are difficult, it's not pointless. And so you can trust God. And the way we can actually trust God is by working hard, wherever you find yourself. Do you believe that? The way we become trustworthy workers is by trusting God with our work. But in order to do that, you must you must see a sample of his work. So consider with me the story of one worker who had every excuse to quit. And, uh, and yet, through trusting God and being skilled in his work, he was able to stand before kings. The story begins with a rather proud teenager. Uh, one day he has a dream and so he decides to share it with his older brothers and he comes uh to his older brothers and he says guys guess what i had a dream it was unbelievable and he starts telling them the dream and when he once he gets to the conclusion of the dream he they realize what the dream is essentially saying is joseph before his other brother says this i had a dream that one day you're all gonna bow down and serve me uh so imagine you hearing that from your sibling eating cereal in the morning uh they hear that, and they, for some reason, it doesn't go over too well. And so they actually sell their brother into slavery. Like, we know that story, but how gnarly is that? Sorry, that's California. How crazy, wicked crazy is that? <laughs> they, they sell their brother into slavery. Joseph, he's a victim of incredible injustice. But he then begins to uh, be the servant of a man named Potiphar who's uh, in Egypt and a well-to-do guy. And he faithfully works. And he gets to a point where he's entrusted with everything in Potiphar's house. He's entrusted with everything in Potiphar's house. Uh, But then, as the story goes on, Potiphar's wife makes an advancement on him. And Joseph, being faithful to the God he loves, says, Hey, how could I possibly do that? How could I possibly sleep with you? Like, my master hasn't withheld anything from me. How could I do that? And so she, she decides uh, to accuse him of raping her. He walks, he runs away, flees the place, but then she accuses him of rape, and he gets sent to jail. How's his work working out for him in our perspective in the moment? In jail, he runs across two men who have dreams, and Joseph, the dreamer, he tells them that God uh, can help him interpret their dreams. So the men tell him the dreams, and to one man he turns to him and says, you know what, your dream means that you're going to get out soon, and you're going you're to be released into freedom. So the other guy hears it and is kind of excited and uh, tells him his dream, tell me what mine means. And he tells him, ah, I'm sorry, but your dream means you're going to die, which is a pretty big bummer. Uh, <laughs> but he tells him the dreams, and he says to the one who's going to go free, he says, hey, remember me when you get out. Tell Potiphar that, or tell Pharaoh that I interpreted your dream. Remember me. He's being faithful. He's interpreting dreams for other people. And both dreams actually go according to Joseph's interpretation. But the guy that got out, he forgets Joseph, completely forgets him for years. What's the fruit of that? What's God doing in the midst of all this? He forgets about Joseph for years. Until Pharaoh has some distressing dreams. And long story short, the the man remembers Joseph. And he says, hey, there was actually a guy. The reason I got out of jail was because of this guy. And he interpreted my dream. Maybe, Maybe he can interpret yours too. And so the young teenager that was sold into slavery, worked faithfully, was wrongly accused of a crime. he appears before a king. And he hears hears the dreams and uh, Pharaoh says, can you interpret them for me? And he says, I can't, but my God can. And so Pharaoh tells him the dreams. And he interprets Pharaoh's dreams that there are going to be seven years of harvest. Followed by seven years of famine. And he waxes on about after this. You know, so if I were you, I would really start putting away some of this into this investment fund and you should do that. And I would move around some of these things. So your five is going to yield this for you. And Pharaoh hears this and says, Man, this guy's pretty wise. He says, Hey, why don't you come along with me and you, you oversee our storage so that we have enough when the years of famine come? And Pharaoh hires him. In the midst of being in prison, Joseph didn't throw in the towel. He didn't say everything's pointless. I just give up. And if you find yourself today in a job that you hate, that you think this is so utterly pointless, I just need to get out from under this. Consider the faithfulness of God here to Joseph, and use wisdom. Is there another opportunity? Maybe you go for that, but don't don't be a lazy worker. Don't say, nothing's happening in here. So, you know what, my work is pointless. I'm not going to work faithfully unto God. God is faithful and he, he gives more to those who are faithful in the little. Years later, Joseph, once the famine has struck, he reunites with his brothers who have sold him into slavery. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And long story our long ways into the story, he, he's kind to them. He shows them kindness, and he gives them, uh, he gives them food, and he provides for them. And eventually, he reveals himself. He says, I'm Joseph, your brother. And they're like, no way. And he shows them kindness, but they think for the longest time, maybe it's just because our father's still alive. And their father eventually dies. And once he dies, his brothers get afraid. And they say, oh, no, our, our father's died now. Now Joseph's going to come and get us. And so once he's died, they they approach Joseph and they say, we're so sorry for what we did. We can't believe how we affected your entire life, how you had to work as a slave, how you had to be in prison. We can't believe it. But Joseph turns to them and he says, I forgive you. And he says this from Genesis 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. This is basically the Old Testament version of Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purposes. Because, you see, the true story of our work isn't that we need a little encouragement to just keep up at it at our job. Just work a little harder. Just rest a little more. Now, we need a deeper rest. We need a place that we can can rest the weight of our existence and our souls on. Because we, all of us in this room, we've strayed away from God. We've tried in vain to find all our meaning and worth and purpose in our work. Some of us, we have monumental failures in our jobs, and in our work. Some of us are numbing ourselves with work because it's too painful to stop and ask if it's all making a true lasting difference. And so we just have to keep at it because I can't deal with the silence. I can't deal with just stopping because what if it's all pointless and meaningless? We can trust God with our work. Because he sent his son to die for the sins of those who were unfaithful in their work. He came to give us his finished resume of righteousness. So that we don't need to justify our existence through the hours we put in in our office. Or the the blood, sweat, and tears we pour into our business. That's not the justification for our existence in this universe. Not only did he die on the cross for the sins of the world... But he rose from the dead. And now Jesus is currently at work to one day fully bring the renewal of all things. And he will surely do that. This is the one thing that we can completely trust in. As surely as Christ rose from the dead, he's going to finish his work of renewing all things. The work is done of bringing us to Christ. And now God is reconciling and going to one day fully reconcile. All things to himself. So, wherever you find yourself, let let us trust in the work of Christ. Start working from a place of rest in the finished work of God. Repent of your laziness or your procrastination, not not just because God's a, a cruel taskmaster who's out to get you. But because he he pulls you aside into a meeting, he says, hey, I notice notice you haven't been working hard. I notice you've been putting everything off. That's not who you are. You were made to work. You you can trust me. I'm going to provide what you need. I'm going to give you enough. But that's not who you are. So repent and come back to me. Left to ourselves, for those of us, and maybe it's most of us in this room, that are like, I don't have a problem with being lazy, man. Like, I got to get out of here, and I got stuff to do right now. For those of us given to overwork, man, left to ourselves, all the work in the world that must be done, it's too much. It's overwhelming. It's soul-crushing. And we need to say, "I, I admit, I admit I can't do it all. I admit I can't fix all the evil I see in the world. I'm not powerful enough to do it. And so we repent of our overwork. And in that, God's given us the gift of Sabbath. Taking one day to say, today I don't have to accomplish my to-do list. I I don't have to go and do something. I get to rest because I'm a human being. And because God loves me and because he's going to keep the world spinning. I don't need to do that today. And he restores our souls as we do that. Because there's too much systemic injustice in the world. There's too many thorns and thistles of greed to put it all on the weight, all the weight on our backs. But the good news of the Bible is that we who have trusted in Christ, we now join God as he is at work in all things. Every job working together, think about Joseph, of all the jobs he had, how God spun that and weaved that into a beautiful story of redemption for entire nations. God's at work in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes.